Here, read the quote I just sent in the chat. You're going to love it. Here are all your familiar spirits, your incubi, your succubi, your witches that go by land, by air, and by sea, your wizards of the night and of the day. Have no fear now. <laughs> we shall find him out if he has come among us, and I mean to crush him utterly if he has shown his face. Wasn't that fun? Talking about wizards of the night and of the day. You're a wizard of the night, Harry. Yeah, I do like all the pointless categorizations of the wizards <laughs> and the witches. I do think that's kind of fun. What the hell is a wizard of the day? <laughs> I thought a wizard of the night was a prostitute. <laughs> wizard of the night? <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to Fire the Canon. This is the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. And if they don't, they get out We've of here. We've put them into the crucible and burn them up. Ooh, that sounds like a little foreshadowing. Oh, spoilers! Spoilers for what we do to books. Jackie, you know you're not <laughs> supposed to say foreshadowing. It's spoilers. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's no such thing as foreshadowing, there's only spoiling. <laughs> We are not technically reading a book this week. I feel like every single week we start this and we're like, this week we are not doing that. But this week we are reading The Crucible by Arthur Miller, which is a play. I'm sure most of us have seen the movie, read the play in high school, something like that. You know about it. You know about it. I mean, if you're like really freaking awesome, you've been to Salem like I have. <laughs> and if you're not really that awesome, then you haven't been to Salem. What if you try a little more foreshadowing, Jackie? <laughs> Like, spread that out a little more. Like, you say, oh, really awesome people go to Salem. And then maybe 20 minutes into the episode, you'd be like, oh, remember the time that I went to Salem? Yeah. <laughs> Let's try it again. Just drop some little hints. Chekhov's trip to Salem. Anytime you mention Salem, you know that's going to come back later in the podcast. That, that was Chekhov's rule. Beautiful uh, geniuses with sparkling personalities go to Salem. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, so maybe you've gone audience. Do you want to introduce yourself? This is Jackie, the host. I'm I'm host. I'm host Jackie. No, a host. A host Jackie. Thank you. I'm another host, Rachel. And I'm Theo, the producer slash hero. He's the only one who's not a host. That's the important part. Somebody's looking a baby face today, wouldn't you say, Jackie? Oh, little baby face. <laughs> cheap, 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 cheap. Well, I did have my dissertation defense, so I shaved all the hair off. Using face. your dissertation. But you stopped at a strategic point right around the ears. You mean I kept my hair on my head? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And also on your eyebrows. Theophilus Cubal Chandler. Oh. <laughs> it's not happening this week. But maybe in the future, maybe if you give us enough money, he'll shave all his hair off. <laughs> yeah, what if you showed up to the dissertation defense with just no eyebrows, but you kept your beard? Just suddenly bald. Yes. That would be awesome. And what if yeah. you said your hair burned off because you were thinking so much? <laughs> that would immediately set me up badly. They'd be like, okay, we can't trust this guy no matter what he says. Can you introduce yourself that way? Redo your introduction to the podcast. Say, and I'm Theo and all my hair burned off because I think so much. I think so damn much. Kind of a big thinker. <laughs> Well, anyway, do you want to know why I called myself the hero? Yes. We both kind of just let it go, but yeah, you can bring it back if you want. And I know we're going to get to the book, and Rachel said she wanted to do a short episode, but I just have something briefly I want to say. Is oh my gosh, uh, we've already been recording so long. Forget Rachel <laughs> and what she wants. I, I was thinking about how this whole podcast endeavor we're doing is kind of like me going on the hero's journey. Uh-huh. Don't you think? The purpose of the podcast is to just teach you a lesson and make you a better person. I'm convinced, <laughs> yes, that is what's going to happen. Yeah. Like, we had the call to adventure when Rachel said, do you guys want to do a pod about books? And then there was the refusal of the call where I said, <laughs> no. no, definitely not about books. Please, anything but books. And then 
You two are my supernatural aides. Uh-huh. From afar. You're teaching me lessons. And then that's as that's as much as I know about the hero's journey. Um, but I assume more is going to be applicable as we continue. But we're also kind of Scylla and Charybdis. Whoa. We've been called your nemeses before by you. Antagonists, yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> some say, some people on this podcast say <laughs> we are your enemies. <laughs> people are saying. <laughs> I think that, yes... In the past, you have been my nemesis, and in the future, you will be as well. But for now, you're my supernatural aides. Nice. Point taken. <laughs> We're a little fluid in our relationships. Is that a good title for this episode, Supernatural Aids? Or we're a little fluid in our relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think we've reached the crossing of the first threshold yet? Yeah. The first threshold was when we released the episode, I think. Okay. So... What about the belly of the whale? Do you know what that is? I don't know what that means. That's when you're really in trouble. Maybe that was when that Redditor wouldn't let Jackie post something. And then we got a Muppet man in trouble or whatever it was. Yeah, and it all seemed lost. Whoa, that's some real lore right there. Yeah. We got a Muppet man in trouble? This is why our episodes are taking so long. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> the guy who was like, where they said, you can't promote your own thing, blah, blah, blah. And you said, well, the top thing in your subreddit is self-promotion. I thought it was a thing about Muppets. No, I didn't get him in trouble at all. The response to that was, well, sometimes we miss things. That doesn't mean you can break the rules. And then they didn't take it down. <laughs> oh, my God. I hate Reddit. What a corrupt Reddit I moderator. I was like, you missed the top post of the entire week? If you're listening, what's that Redditor's name? What was their account? Let me look. I'm an idiot. One, two, three. Okay, well, if you're listening, you slash whatever... Fuck you. <laughs> On to the episode. So why why don't you, Rachel, tell the tell the listeners why we're discussing this? Why on earth did we choose this darn book? Because my mom worked with a young fellow who is a pretty popular TikToker named Luke Joseph. And he just graduated from high school and he's going to be a guest on our podcast in the future. And I said to him, hey, since you're actually someone who just finished having these assigned books for English class, why don't you tell us something that you've got a strong opinion on? And he said, The Crucible. So we're going to talk about it. Did he say if he has a strong positive opinion or a strong negative opinion? It's a mystery to me. Or strongly neutral. An opinion is an opinion. Yeah. We've all got them. <laughs> yeah, they're all correct. We don't judge here. <laughs> as long as you're famous and popular, we don't care what you think. Just come on yeah. our podcast. <laughs> That's not true. With a few notable exceptions. Yeah. With a few exceptions. Yeah. So, but anyway, so I are. spoke with Luke and he was excited to come on. He was excited to talk about the Crucible. And I also have you know, crucible memories from my own high school time. So I thought it would be a fun discussion. What about you guys? <laughs> you also had a paranoid witch hunt in your high school? That was the theme of her prom. No, uh, I mean that I read the play and then saw it performed and I enjoyed myself. Oh, that's fine. Sorry. I mean, I, I don't have that experience at all. Yeah, I honestly don't know a single thing about the crucible. So Seriously? Really? You didn't, you've never seen the movie or watched it or read it? No. You've never seen it, watched it, or looked at it? <laughs> Have you eyeballed it? Uh, it depends on what that means. If it means, like, heard the title in passing, then yes, I have eyeballed it. In what way does eyeballing <laughs> means hearing in passing? It would be ear-holing it. Okay. okay, wait, before we talk about... Well, wait, 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 why don't we have Theo 
tell us what he thinks it's about. No, I don't think this is going to be very useful because I have I have no idea. I mean, you've said it's about witches. Okay. <sighs> so I guess the witches probably do something where they it's like really uh, kind of evil and spooky. And there are other people <laughs> who maybe don't like the spookiness of it. Um, and then... <laughs> They're not know. loving the spookiness of that thing. Yeah, they're not loving the spookiness mm-hmm. of that thing. <laughs> they have to send some Audubon emails. Okay, so you do yeah. you think it's fiction or nonfiction? Or based on a fictional event? Or an- It's about witches? Um, you say it is. I don't want to <laughs> say too much. Are you asking him if he I'm knows I'm asking what- if you think it's based on a real event or not. Oh. Uh, it hadn't crossed my mind before, but now I guess, yeah, I do think it's based on a real event. But you... You wouldn't have thought that if I hadn't asked the question. Well, I mentioned Salem. Like I know that's times. why it's funny to me that he hasn't put it together. Well, I mean, I knew that's like the the witching zone, oh. Salem. <laughs> but I guess I just thought maybe that was Jackie just talking about her sort of interest in the occult. On. <laughs> just sort of blabbering <laughs> on whenever she's saying something again. It's always <laughs> about witchcraft. That Jackie always acting like she's so skeptical, but really she just blabbers and blabbers all the time. If you yeah. want to know what we're talking about, sign up for our Patreon and listen to our Goosebumps episode. <laughs> yeah. It's actually very mm. funny and I'm disappointed it's a Patreon exclusive, but too bad for you. Yeah, we can't do anything about that. We're not in control here. It's out of our hands. <laughs> All right, so we decided that I was going to talk about the background of the Crucible and like the the meaning behind it, why it was written. I was going to talk about the writer, and then you were going to talk about the. So why don't you talk about him first? Okay, so Theo, do you know anything about Arthur Miller? Have you heard that name? Heard the name. Stop picking on him. I'm not picking on him. <laughs> he was married to a famous person. He wrote. Um, Death of a Salesman. Are you familiar with that at all? I mean, I've heard of it. <laughs> Leave Theo alone. He doesn't I'm know. I'm not that. picking on him. He's gotten so into old movies and stuff these days. I have no idea what he knows anymore. Man, I miss the days when we used to know what Theo knew. Yeah, it's all it's a mystery now. <laughs> Before okay. you could assume it was nothing. Now you think yeah. maybe, a, maybe maybe a few knows, things. Yeah. But it gets more humiliating for you every time that you we think you might know something. You're the one saying he's humiliated and being bullied. (laughs) I don't know that he thought he was. I know. And ever since (laughs) he started saying that, I've started feeling it. (laughs) I'm just trying to stand up for him. Okay. Oh, we just make fun of each other. I was not making fun of him. Well, some people make fun of others a little more often, I would say. Sometimes Rachel's really mean. It's okay. Just go ahead. (laughs) Sometimes beautiful geniuses get made fun of by their podcast hosts. and There's nothing they can do about it. (gasps) Oh, Theo's never been to Salem. Let's just leave that there. And we'll, okay. Uh, so anyway, Arthur Miller is, he was most by far well known as a playwright. He wrote some of the most famous American plays of the 20th century. He was born in New York City in 1915 and he died in 2005 in Connecticut. So he didn't get very far actually. Man. So he was like trying to get to Florida his whole life and he only made it to Connecticut. Yeah. Just walking in circles, <laughs> waddling slowly. In well, he started way the hell uptown. So it took him a while. <laughs> oh, oh, now there is a callback call to an episode no one wants to listen to. <laughs> pearls before swine. The <laughs> swine being our audience. Our episodes are the pearls <laughs> <laughs> that our audience just doesn't appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <Yeah>. So uh, <laughs> Miller was born to a Polish Jewish family. And when he went to college, he started off majoring in journalism, but he just happened to write a play and he loved it. So he switched to majoring in English and then just kept writing plays and kept writing plays. And he. Question. 
Yes. Question accepted. Yeah, okay. yeah. Go ahead. Uh, you said he was majoring in journalism, but he happened to write a – like, did he accidentally write a play when he meant to be writing, like, a court transcript? <laughs> he wrote the transcript, <laughs> but he wrote it in the style of a play, you know, like, with stage directions and everything. Yeah, he actually submitted it to, like, a local theater, and they <laughs> yeah. staged it. Right. Okay. But uh, so now I hope we've cleared that up. <laughs> Question answered. <laughs> he ended up working for the Federal Theater Project, which was a New Deal agency that got closed down in the late 30s because the U.S. Congress thought that communists would infiltrate it or already had infiltrated it, which Jackie, I'm sure, will elaborate more on in her section of history, correct? You said the the what got infiltrated? Uh, it was called the Federal Theater Project, which was a New Deal agency that was like designed to give jobs in the arts. And Congress shut it down because they thought it had been infiltrated by communists. I just didn't know about the federal theater thing. Okay, the way that you were acting, it was like you weren't going to talk about communism at all, and that's kind of the whole thing of the play. <laughs> Communists? <laughs> no, 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 I get it, I get it. Okay, you just, your tone was a little suspicious. Jackie's quickly revising her plan. Communism, yeah. <laughs> I bring out, like, my arsenic pill, and I'm like, I can't do Yeah. <laughs> we all have one for an, whenever an episode gets really bad for us. Oh, this is it. So. <laughs> So uh, Miller was married three times in his life. The first time he married a woman named Mary Slattery. That was in 1940. And while he was married to her, he had a brief affair with Marilyn Monroe and they kept in touch. So he divorced his wife in 56 and immediately married Marilyn Monroe, who converted to Judaism after the marriage, which got her all of her movies banned in Egypt. How interesting to me. Nice. Dang. That's a big market, too. She actually went with him when he was forced to appear in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee because of his suspected communist sympathies. And uh, she wrote a lot about how worried she was about him and how much she loved him. But while they were together, she started taking more and more drugs to help her sleep and wake up. And then she was having, like, memory issues. And she just seemed really really miserable and he divorced her in 1961 and married his third and final wife very early 1962 that was her name uh, her name was inga morath his th third and final wife but shortly after their divorce okay. like a year and a half after marilyn monroe died of what was probably a drug overdose and Arthur Miller always blamed her decline and eventual death on doctors for, like, over-prescribing as opposed to, like, the pressures of, you know, worldwide fame. It's probably a little bit of both. <laughs> I mean, also, he seemed like an asshole, as you'll see as I go forward, but I, I don't know what effect, like, I don't know if their marriage was good for her, bad for her, neutral, whatever. Mm -hmm. Wow, the world was so different then. Like, can you imagine? You could be, like, play a schlubby playwright <laughs> married to like, the bombshell. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's examples of that, right? Like, uh... Name one. Who am I thinking of? Yeah, name one. Well, I forget the actress's name, but she's married to, like, some... Schlub. Some schlub. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the schlubs out there. <laughs> no, no, that's good. It's encouraging to them. Oh. Congratulations to all the schlubs out there. <laughs> <laughs> but the way that we framed it made it sound like maybe she died because she was married to such a schlub. <laughs> no, I think he was a jerk. I don't think it had anything to do with his schlubbiness. <laughs> mm. Keep listening, schlubs. Tell your friends. <laughs> we appreciate our schlub audience. <laughs> we schlub you. <laughs> the next episode is going to be specifically catered for the schlubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so 
one interesting thing is that Arthur Miller's son-in-law, his son-in-law is Daniel Day-Lewis, who played John Proctor what? in the I didn't movie know that. version of no The Crucible. No way. What? Why did no one ever tell me that? You'd never heard about The Crucible at all. So maybe that's why they didn't think you'd be interested. I have a great fact, but should I tell Theo? I think it would be lost on him. <laughs> I feel like every time I hear stuff like that, it just makes me realize, like, oh... Famous people are all just, like, a giant pretzel all tied up together. Like, nobody ever just makes it to fame without, like, knowing all the other famous people already, it seems like. Except for the Fire the Cannon podcast crew. Yeah. (laughs) We're the only ones. We're the only rags to riches, yeah. And also, all of our friends don't seem to know any famous people either. Except us. (laughs) No, that's not true. We keep trying and trying, and no one will hook us up. Okay, the other thing about Arthur Miller that makes me really know that he's an asshole is that he had a son who was born with Down syndrome, and he had his son institutionalized against his wife's express wishes. Mm. Even though the wife visited their son very often, Arthur Miller never, ever visited him and almost never spoke about him. That sucks. Unfortunately, that was kind of the norm for that time period. I mean, he died in 2005. That time period? When was his son born? Arthur Miller died in 05. His son was born in the late 60s. I mean, even up into the 70s and 80s, I think a lot of people were just kind of institutionalized. He didn't even visit him. I don't know if that's normal. Oh, I'm not saying it's a good thing. No. It's a terrible thing. But that's what a lot of families did. Supposedly, Mm -hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis visited his brother-in-law very frequently, and some people have said that he persuaded Arthur Miller to meet with him. But, like, that still, that sucks so much. Like, what an asshole. Oh, so Daniel Day-Lewis is, like, a, a nice guy. Seems like a nice guy compared to Arthur Miller for sure. Yeah. Well, that sucks. Definitely does. Also, his marriages kept overlapping (laughs) or happening like way too soon after the other relationships ended. Just a pattern of behavior. But as we've seen from this podcast, people who suck can still make good art. So let's hear from Jackie the background of the (laughs) art and then we'll move on to the art itself. You should stop calling yourself the host. You should say, I'm the one who explains why this person's an asshole. (laughs) And then I'm the person who didn't know that and then feels weird when I have to explain the rest of their art. Rachel should have a separate character that she plays sometimes. The one who tells you when someone's an asshole? Yeah, your name could be like Marge. Marge? Like smoke, chain smoking and being like, did you hear about Milla? He cheated on his wife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cheated on his other wife. <laughs> Redo it. No, I can't. Redo it. I can barely do that accent for like one second. <laughs> I don't think I could sustain it. <laughs> it was a very poor taste. Yeah. Very yeah. poor. <laughs> and that was good. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> you get the Jackie seal of approval on that accent work. Let's move on from Marge. <laughs> yeah, move on from Marge. So the Marge segment's over. So yeah, um, I kind of just wanted to give a little bit of the background about the, the Crucible. So I used mostly... Um, There's a New Yorker essay that he wrote in, I think, 1996. Arthur Miller himself wrote this called Why I Wrote the Crucible. So I was like, let's just get it straight from the source. Nice. (laughs) Straight from the source's mouth. Never look a gift source in the mouth. Mm -hmm. So he was, at least from this essay, pretty aware of his moral ambiguity and or him kind of being an asshole like he he knows that about himself and that's actually one of the reasons that he wrote the crucible so let's just go there's like different levels like if you know nothing about the crucible you you know that it's about witches and if you know a little bit more about the background of it you know it's about like communism and the red scare in the 50s and then if you know a little bit more you're going to realize that there's actually more to it than just that. So 
everybody knows about the Red Scare. We talked about that a little bit. Rachel mentioned Let's it. explain a little bit because we do have a lot of international listeners. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so starting with World War II, ended in 1945, there was a period of time after that where basically America was kind of battling with, with the Soviet Union, China, and worrying then that Europe was then going to follow in the footsteps of China and the Soviet Union, and they were going to lose them to... The sweet, sweet siren call of communism. <laughs> right, right. So, And they were conflating the Nazi movement with communism and socialism and kind of just putting all that together in a bow and like saying, that's a big blob of stuff that we don't want. So there was a time period during which if you were thought to be a communist or have any association with the Soviets or to have pro-communist sentiments, then you could be turned into the House Un-American Committee. If you weren't a communist, but you thought that people shouldn't go to jail for being communists, you could get in trouble. <laughs> like you could lose your job just for thinking it's okay for someone else to be a communist. Yeah. So there's very tenuous connections that could get you in a lot of trouble. And I think that it's pretty easy to draw a parallel between that and what happened in the Salem witch trials, which as most of us know, don't involve real witches. It involved, you know, neighbors and people kind of just having these very earthly and corn drugs. That was the theory was that their grain, there's some kind of like psychedelic corn smut that, yeah. So I psychedelic corn smut wasn't where I was going. Where I was going is this is kind of like people's frustrations with each other because they live in a Puritan society. They're not allowed to really express their frustrations with each other. They're not allowed to express their frustrations with the way that they have to live. Women are not allowed to do things that women should be allowed to do. <laughs> Children were barely allowed to speak at all. That kind of all resulted in when witchcraft becomes a plausible explanation, that's a vehicle for self-expression that's like almost irresistible. And you can suddenly say every bad thing that you've ever suspected your neighbor did. If you have been like fantasizing about one of your neighbors, then you can say, oh yeah, her spirit visits me at night. And you can just like kind of get that off your chest just by saying that. So that's kind of what the introduction to the crucible says. Yeah, like an accusation of witchcraft or communism was more of just a weapon to level against people that you don't like. Right. Right. Or to get other people off your own back than an actual factual statement. So if someone said, you're a communist, you can say, no, that person's a communist. And then you would kind of just get them to go over to them. Same thing with the witchcraft trials. So yeah. again, it's really easy to draw just a very direct, simple parallel between quote unquote witch hunt, which that phrase has become... Overused. <laughs> uh, yeah, overused definitely. But also it's just kind of become, it's morphed into a whole different thing. Yeah. But anyway, so it's not just that you can point at someone and say, oh, they're a communist and get them in trouble. And then he just wrote this and turned it into witches instead. It's not quite that simple. So, you know, he really had issues with the way that both sides were coming at the Red Scare during this time period. So it was like, yes, the Soviets were committing these human rights violations against people. And it was like, you couldn't really look straight on at that and still be progressive. But then if you acted like maybe it's okay for someone to be communist, then suddenly you're, you know, completely on the other side. So it for him was something where no one could really be right. And no one could really say what they really thought, because anything that you said could be twisted by someone else. He was called in to testify by the House Un-American Activities Committee, and they told him, you need to name names. Who are the other communists or else we're going to destroy your career? And he like, you know, he had a setback. I think he did refuse to name names, didn't he? So to me, it seems pretty obvious that like 
he wanted to kind of see himself as John Proctor, the main character of The Crucible. He thought about himself as John Proctor because John Proctor was, like I said, this kind of morally ambiguous person and ends up being like the voice of reason in the town. And so he was going through a divorce at this time. I don't know which of his wives he was divorcing. It was the period of divorcing his first wife and getting with Marilyn Monroe. So he felt drawn to that character and it kind of helped him feel like better about himself, I guess. (laughs) So that's how he got positioned as kind of one of the main characters. And that's one of the backgrounds of why he ended up writing this. So it had a personal connection and then also this. Do you think that when it was first staged, he was like sitting there with his script sitting in on the rehearsals? And do you think he was secretly hoping that the actor who played that part was going to turn to him and say, wait, Arthur, I think you could do this better. This is you. It was made for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do think so. Like if you're a playwright and you're writing yourself into the play. Yeah. I mean, come on. This is, it's yeah. a Mary Sue. This is 100% John Proctor's <laughs> Mary Sue. Um, this is historical fanfic. <laughs> yeah, it's historical fanfic about Arthur Miller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he conceived of this while he was actually visiting Salem because all the, all the beautiful geniuses do that. And in the time that he visited, I think it was like the late, 50s and no it wasn't like the cool place that it is now no no sorry it was the early 50s he was there it was 1952 he visited and everything was like abandoned pretty much but he went to like the one museum that they had about the witch trials and the thing that made him start to think about writing a play was abigail who is one of the main characters of the play crying about uh her fingers being burned wow what a seed from which this beautiful (laughs) tree grew (laughs) my little fingies to quote the my little fingies is exactly what it says. You yes. said that. She makes her hand into a fist and then she tries to hit him and then she touches him very lightly and says, my fingers, my fingers, they burn. And he, in that moment, was like, this is mm-hmm. a play. Yeah. Really? I guess he's right. It is a play. You're saying she touched him lightly? She was going to hit him, but then... Guess because he's a witch man. Okay. But you're going to find out more, so don't worry. You're going to find out more about those all two. All will yeah. become clear. <sighs> I just want to know it all now. Okay. Okay. Let's move on. So let's change our names real quick. I'm going to change my Zoom name to my favorite character. Uh, Hey, let me do it, Theo. No, you don't. You love it. Can we just say it? You're Giles Corey. You're Giles Corey, aren't you? You knew I was Giles Corey. Is it because you wanted to be him or you knew that I loved Because he's objectively the best. Actually, I'm really excited for you to hear about this play because I quote Giles Corey pretty frequently and it's always so, so, so funny and I would love it if you knew that I was also being smart. But there's only, there's like only one good quote that you can do for him. Okay, one morning I woke up because Stephen just, he got a wild hair and just started piling blankets on top of me. He grabbed every blanket in the house and piled it on top of me. And so I just woke up and said the quote, which I won't spoil here. And he was like, ha, 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 that's so funny. Uh, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Theo will get it later. Okay. Um, so, Theo, go ahead and announce your name. I'll be an invisibility spell. Okay. You're all invisible. <laughs> Jackie. Audience, I've made you invisible <laughs> through this magical podcast. That's so different from usual. Normally we can see them while they listen. Yeah, and we know what you were doing last time you listened. Taylor. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we have any Taylor listeners. I feel like I'm I'm still wanting this to have actual magic in it, but it seems less and less likely to me that there's going to be real magic in it the more you talk about the book. Nice. Okay. Now we can move on. Now we can move on. 
Let's talk about the play. You want me to? Yeah. So Jackie and I read the Penguin edition of the play, so it's not purely just, you know, the stage directions and the dialogue. There's a lot of sections where Miller just kind of goes on and on about stuff. (laughs) So in the first part of the play, he talks about, okay, here we are, we're in Salem. These are all Puritans. They live in a crushing theocratic society. They're always fighting with the Native Americans. (laughs) He also talks about how, to them, they had fled, you know, England because of religious persecution. They wanted to be able to do things their own way. And to them, the forest, so they're on the the coast Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts, and to them, the forest represents, like, the rest of the unexplored American continent. Yeah, so it's scary and evil. The forest is, like, the realm of the devil. Yeah, they said that's the last place on Earth where they don't know about Jesus, so... Those poor squirrels and deer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Miller also says, like, of course they were unable to convert any Native Americans. Because the Salemites suck, which, yeah. And um, the narrator also... They don't even celebrate Christmas. Why am I trying to join your religion and you don't even celebrate Christmas? If you're Christians, why would I want to join? (laughs) (laughs) The narrator also says that he thinks that uh, the events of the play occurred because there was a lot of internal tension among all the people because there's so much isolation and everything happening in the colony was super unstable. They didn't really have any civil liberties whatsoever. So it just kind of created this pot that was like simmering, 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 waiting to boil over, which I would agree with. That makes sense. Sort of like this podcast. (laughs) Simmering tensions until one day you just say you don't want to read the opening quotes one time too many, and I snap. <laughs> I got a little scared when Theo was like, this is long, and Rachel was like, I'm about to get mad I said I was about to get mad. I know. <laughs> pick a shorter quote next time. I'll it's never pick saying. a shorter quote. <laughs> well, you remember when you complained that a sonnet was too long? You're like, oh, this poem is so long. It's one of the notably short poetic styles. It's simply too long to read it aloud on a podcast. I still stand by that. Uh And I think our listenership does too. And their passive condemnation of our spring episode. Passive condemnation. We have more listens to the spring episode at this point in time post-release than we did to J. Alfred Prufrock, which we did not read. And this is the segment where we argue with each other about... How popular our (laughs) podcast is. (laughs) Just keep going. So, um... The entirety of Act 1 takes place in the attic of the local preacher. Sorry, Theo, but his name is Reverend Paris. He's one of the major characters, and he has a young daughter named Betty. Will it help you if I call her Betty Paris, or or is Betty enough? Um, surprise me. Surprise you, okay. Okay, so... (laughs) I'm gonna call her (laughs) Marsha. Yeah, okay. So Betty is, she's like lying in bed. It almost seems like she's in a coma or something. And we find out that Reverend Paris, the previous night, had like gone into a clearing in the woods and found Betty and some other girls and his slave Tituba dancing naked in the forest and like eating stew out of a pot. Whoa. (laughs) Which apparently is a big (laughs) deal. Only one of them was naked. He said he saw someone run (laughs) by. Yeah, he saw one naked person run away. He said he saw a dress on the ground. What is that party? Because you should either all be naked or none of you should be naked. There should not be like one person just going, (laughs) that's not a party. That's like something went wrong. I have to say, if he did see that, that's pretty damning evidence. If he saw a naked person running (laughs) around in the woods. Three people dancing around a pot in the woods. (laughs) No, not three. More than three. (laughs) 
Multiple women dancing. Yeah. If, oh, well, then if it's more than three, that's fine. Women dancing? That's witchcraft. <laughs> I have to say, like, obviously in Puritan times, whatever, like, you weren't supposed to dance, but it does make it extra weird if you go into the woods, which everybody thinks is where the devil lives and dances at Dancing night. in the woods? That's fine. Nudity in the woods? That's fine. Having a nice pot of soup in the woods? That's fine. <laughs> The problem is when you combine all three. You can't put those things together. <laughs> you should know how that looks. Also, who wants to eat soup in the nude? Think about it. Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, there's got to be drippage. Oh, yeah. Maybe they were just worried about spilling out on their clothes. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, maybe she was just cooking and forgot an apron. <laughs> she was like, guys, we're going to get in so much trouble with Reverend Paris if we get soup on our clothes. So here's what we should do. I do not want to have to do laundry tomorrow. <laughs> I do like the idea of one of them turning to another one and saying, like, I don't know, guys. I don't think I like the optics on this. <laughs> this isn't looking so good for us. <laughs> At least put some clothes back on. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why they were dancing, too. They they spilled some soup on themselves, and they were like, this was a bad idea, and they're just trying to, like, cool off. Yeah, she wasn't dancing. She got some boiling soup and was, like, jumping around in pain. Yeah. Yeah, we solved it. Oh, it was all a misunderstanding. Yeah. Fire the cannon, witch detectives. You know, so, like, when someone gets caught in some type of thing, they're not supposed to be doing and they make up like an elaborate lie that's how you know it's a lie yeah if you're like oh i'm late to work and sorry i just was in traffic that's one thing but if you're like well first i stubbed my toe and then i dropped a whole bunch of banana custard on my head and then what made that even worse is then i was in traffic and then i hit a dog and then you know all this, you, you can't make it too weird they made it too weird. Yeah. So anyway, that's what he saw them doing. He burst. <laughs> they the language they used was I think he burst out of a bush. So, <laughs> uh oh, Mr. Darcy. He has been hiding in a bush watching these young girls dancing around, and then decides to just pop out of the shrubbery and be like, "Hey!" <laughs> and then they said that his daughter was so startled that she like passed out, and she hasn't she woken up since. Yeah. 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 So it's been like since midnight the night before. He's talking to her and she's saying like, it's definitely not at all witchcraft. Like, don't even think that at all, uncle. She was just surprised. He's saying, if it is, you need to tell me right now because we can't have that. He doesn't want it to be witchcraft, but he's not like yeah. 100% against it. But Theo, Abigail Williams is one of the, like, main characters. So you should remember her. She is, I think, 17. She burned her fingies. Yeah, she's the one who gets her little fingies burnt. She's very beautiful. She's She lives with her uncle, and her cousin is Betty, who she says she cares about. And she says, no, it wasn't witchcraft at all. We were just dancing. And he was like, well, why did I hear Tichuba speaking in tongues? And she said, oh, she's just singing her Barbados songs. Yeah, that's just her language. Uh, she's singing a song for us to dance yeah. around to. For whatever reason, a rich asshole named Thomas Putnam and his wife Anne show up and they just go right into the reverend's attic, which if I were the reverend, I would be like, don't come in here. My daughter is sick. Can you just like wait downstairs? No, if you're saying you don't want me to see your sick daughter, it's probably because she's witched. Suspicious. Yeah. Jeez. Ugh, annoying. But so uh, the Putnams are talking to the reverend and he says, I have invited another reverend, Reverend Hale, who is an expert in witchcraft and demonology. So he's going to come and investigate the incident. And they're like, oh, well, if you don't think it's witchcraft, that's weird that you invited that guy to come. And he's like, well, I mean, it's just a precaution. But it, yeah, I'm yeah, just making help. sure it's not witchcraft. But they tell him, like, if you don't think it's witchcraft, you need to go outside because there's a crowd of nervous people. So just tell them it's not witchcraft. 
So he does that. They're actually all downstairs in his parlor. So I think the Putnams just like came up the stairs, but everybody is already in his house. <laughs> they breached the outer wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So some of the other girls who were involved in the midnight dancing show up in the attic and Betty like wakes up very quickly and tries to jump out the window, which is weird. Yeah, there's two more of them. It's not super important, but their names are uh, Mercy Lewis and then Mary is one of the other ones. Mary is the servant of John Proctor, yeah. who is also going to become a major character. But so uh, he doesn't show up yet, though. So <laughs> Abigail is talking to the girls who are dancing in the woods, and she tells them, I told my uncle that all we were doing is dancing, so you need to stick to the same story. Like, if we stay to this, we won't get in trouble. And the other girls are scared. Yeah, they will be whipped for dancing, but we won't be hung. <laughs> the other girls are really nervous that the truth is going to come out and that they'll be labeled as witches and killed. So they agree to go along with Abigail and Betty, like, faints again. During the small period of time in which Betty is awake and trying to jump out the window, she's really freaking out and she yells, you drank blood, Abby, you drank blood. And Abby, like, slaps her across the face and is like, you never repeat that again. Yeah. Whoa. So it's very clear that they were trying to do a little something out there. Yeah. And she said to Mercy, he also saw you naked. And then Mercy <laughs> kind of like giggles nervously. So she was naked and they did do something weird out yeah, there. Yeah, somebody was drinking some blood. A lot of blood? Uh, not as, we don't know the volume, I think. Correct, Jackie? Oh. You drank all the blood, Abby. You didn't leave any <laughs> yeah, for me. Unfair. You guzzled it all. <laughs> That's what the real problem is. That's why they don't want witches around because then there's no blood left for everyone else. Mm. This yeah. is when the main character, John Proctor, shows up. He tells Mary Warren, who is his maid, and Mercy to leave, and he like has a confrontation with Abigail. And she tells him that they weren't performing witchcraft. But they're kind of flirting a little bit. So he goes, oh, I hear that you were a little bit naughty. And she's like, mm, you know, I don't do stuff like that. We were just dancing. And then, I don't do witch stuff. I don't do witch <laughs> stuff. Normal flirting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Heard you were committing a crime you could get hung for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, what, like 30 maybe? And she's like 17. So he's he's a good bit older than her. He's probably like 34, yeah. Yeah, and he's got a wife, Elizabeth. So anyway, um, she is kind of flirting with him. We find out that she used to work for the Proctors as their maid, and she was fired by his wife. Who is a lying, cold, sniveling woman. That's who my name is. That's what she says. And it's because she and this this 17-year-old had an affair with this man in his 30s. She's saying, like, why don't you just one more time, like, give me a soft word, like, come on. And he's like, no, 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 we never touched. And she's like, mm, yeah, we did. It doesn't seem like he's saying it in the sense that it literally never happened, but that he's saying it, like, in your mind, yeah, this is not a thing that's going to happen again. No, he's just saying, we don't speak of this. And he says, like, yeah, it was a mistake, shouldn't have done it, it's never going to happen again. And she says, like... That she's still interested in him and she thinks he's still interested in her, which it seems like it because she said, don't you stand outside my house at night and look up at my window? And he goes, I may have. Yeah, so what? <laughs> <laughs> That's not a thing you can say what of it about. <laughs> I just think it's funny how he says, we never wipe it out of mind. We never touched Abby. And she goes, I, but we did. And he says, I, but we did not. <laughs> yeah. And she just like gets very angry with him and. And while they're arguing about this, she wants to continue the affair. He doesn't want to, supposedly. While they're arguing, they hear a psalm being sung downstairs, and Betty, like, sits up in bed and starts screaming. Oh, no. Yeah, that's not a great
great sign. Mm-hmm. So the Reverend Paris, <laughs> Betty's dad, <laughs> runs back into the bedroom, and for whatever reason, a bunch of other people <laughs> also come up. They are so freaking nosy. I would hate to live there. Yeah. Well, and poor Betty has already been slapped hard across the face when she accused Abby of drinking blood. And then (laughs) Reverend Paris gets up there, Betty screaming, and he just like keeps lightly slapping her. Why would she wake up every time she wakes up? You hit her in the face. Of course, she's going to pretend to be sleeping. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. But the reason they think she's screaming is because they hear like a psalm coming from downstairs. So people are are singing, going up to Jesus. The name of God. Yeah. And so when they hear her screaming, they're like, aha, she is witchy can't bear to hear the lord's name there's an easy way yeah. to test that i don't understand why someone didn't just go right up to her and whisper like jesus oh <laughs> nobody tries it you know <laughs> and then she wakes up and you hit her in the face and you're like see she's upset <laughs> but they don't test it at all they're like she's screaming because of jesus okay say it again see if she screams again <laughs> yeah i think a really interesting quote from abigail that we should say is when she's arguing with john says i look for john proctor that took me from my sleep and put knowledge in my heart i never knew what pretense salem was i never knew the lying lessons i was taught by all these christian women and their covenanted men and now you bid me tear the light out of my eyes i will not i cannot so she's like you showed me the light and i can't forget about it now. the thing is it, he's not telling you that you have to close your eyes to hypocrisy he's just telling you he's not going to sleep with you anymore yeah but she's 17 i know she is 17 which okay that's a weird thing about arthur miller is that in real life abigail was like 10 years old Mm -hmm. and also she and john proctor didn't know each other there is no record of any interaction until the trial yeah but you gotta admit it makes it more interesting yeah but it also it makes it a woman who you know gets people murdered Mm -hmm. because she wants to hook up with a man a married man if the fact that she's 17 has a lot to do with it because i think they're positioning her as this impulsive, selfish teenager. And it's also a woman problem. <laughs> yeah. The other problem is, you know, like for us, a 17-year-old, we're like, that's a baby who's in high school. But for them, that's like, that's a woman mm-hmm. who could have had three kids by now. Who could be married. Right. Right. So it's complicated. Like, it's complicated. But still, it's weird that he... And she's like, why are you sticking by your sickly wife instead of me who is young and hot? (laughs) She's not nice. (laughs) She's not. Very Calypso of her. You've never used that line? No. (laughs) Have you, Theo? (laughs) And why are you with your sickly wife when you could be with me, Theo? (laughs) Young, hot Theo. (laughs) The young hottie slash producer. (laughs) The dream boat. (laughs) Oh. Wait, guys, I think I figured out the fun game to play with this play. Okay. Okay. Because you know how I like taking analogies a little too far and i get joy out of that and humor yeah <laughs> i'm thinking if the analogy is like the the witchcraft is communism uh-huh. then what is this scene people are like downstairs talking about stock options and stuff and then upstairs the person's just like no no, <laughs> no screaming. we need to share everything <laughs> no unjust <laughs> <Yeah>. hierarchies <laughs> oh my gosh the sound of an unjust hierarchy made her scream she hates <laughs> capitalism now <laughs> someone is down there talking about like buying a new part for their machine shop and she's like "Steez the means of production the name of elon musk made her wake up from her nap and (laughs) 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 arthur miller could have done a little bit better of a job of not naming everyone the same like paris putnam proctor are the three main those are their names those are their real names Uh, that's the problem okay but he changed their ages can't he just have called one of them like ferris instead they have the same names (laughs) and the same like fates that they did in real life spoilers yeah so mrs putnam the awful woman comes up and is like aha she's witch both putnams come up 
Rebecca Nurse. But Rebecca Nurse is, is lovely. She's 72. And everyone's favorite, Giles Corey, who's a buff <laughs> farmer in his early 80s, also shows up. He's 83, <laughs> knotted with muscle. I'm just like, I know that's history, but Whoa. how the hell was someone in 1692 living to 83 and totally fine? He must have been a, he, he had to have been a witch, I'm saying right now. <laughs> like, there's no way he was a mortal man. He was jacked. Athena disguised him. Yeah, she poured handsomeness over. Remember? He's an old beggar. Yeah, it's a it's Odysseus. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so there's this this really hot 80-year-old and uh <laughs> beloved religious older woman, Rebecca Nurse, and then the Putnams show Rebecca up. Rebecca Nurse probably looks the most like a witch as we would think of her. Like she's got long flowing white hair and she's older and she's also been a um a good wife. Like a midwife for many people. Yeah. Midwife, so. that's what it was. A good wife is just a woman who's married. <laughs> but also like she's into healing and stuff, right? Like she, she is delivered babies but it seems like a lot of women have to do that that's true but there's a long history of women who deliver babies being accused of witchcraft because they have like a knowledge of herbs and i mean it's a power that's uncontrolled by the men it's a power while they're up there the villagers have a fight mrs putnam is she's angry because one of the girls who was dancing is her daughter and she had seven children who died before this daughter just seven babies that all died and she thinks that witchcraft caused her to lose her babies and are causing what's happening to betty whereas rebecca nurse is saying well why don't we call a doctor first but it turns out that <laughs> the reverend saw a doctor and was like, well, that guy said he's never seen it before. And Rebecca Nurse says, okay, but uh, maybe it's still not witchcraft. It could just be something else. And I don't know, why is Giles Corey coming up here? This is so random, this old he's man. He's bored. <laughs> he's a farmer. And- yeah, he's bored. Honestly, he's bored. <laughs> so he comes up and Rebecca Nurse is like, before, he never says anything. He hasn't said a single word. And she tells him, Giles, you be quiet. She's sick. <laughs> And then he said, is she going to fly again? I hear she flies. (laughs) (laughs) So insensitive. (laughs) It's a rumor she's been flying around. Oh, just like in the Scarlet Letter. (laughs) So Mr. Putnam and Giles Corey have been, they're involved in a feud over some kind of land ownership. Like Putnam says, no, my, this was left to me. And Giles Corey's like, okay, it doesn't matter. It's still mine, not yours, bro. Yeah, like that dude always put land that wasn't his in his will. Yeah, your grandpa or or dad, I forget which one it was. Yeah, because John Proctor is trying to get Giles Corey to leave. And he's like, hey, bro, will you help me carry some lumber back to my farm? And it turns out the lumber is from some land he bought from the nurses. And that's when uh, Putnam is like, wait a second, that's my land. My grandfather gave it to me. And then Giles Corey is like, he was constantly giving away land that wasn't his. That's not your land. He, y'all should have just had that conversation downstairs. <laughs> like he never would have known. Yeah, I know. They're just in this argument about land. <laughs> Yeah. And they're like, you're not going to take those logs off my land. He already cut the trees down. What's the point now? Take yeah, the logs who away. Who cares? I guess he wants to take them. So also the the Reverend Paris, he gets in an argument with John Proctor about how much money he gets paid. John Proctor's like, what is it? Like you get paid two pounds a year for coal. Nobody brought me my firewood this year. And he's oh yeah, like, firewood. He's like, there's a there's firewood budgeted in your salary. And he's like, it's not enough money. Yeah. You're never going to get someone as cheap as me. I went to Harvard. You're getting a great deal. <laughs> 
which in 1692, who anybody can go to Harvard. Like Everybody went to Harvard. Who cares? <laughs> you could be like an eight-year-old who can't read and go to Harvard. It's fine. Who cares if you went to Harvard? You're not even a demonologist, dude. Like, what was the point of that education? Also, like, most of the people can't read. So, I mean, it might be impressive that you went to Harvard, but also it, it might be not impressive at yeah. all because who yeah. cares? Yeah, they don't know what Harvard is. <laughs> like, if I can't read, I don't care that you went to Harvard. <laughs> to the Harvard. He accuses Proctor of starting a conspiracy to oust him from the church. He says, yeah, there's a group in the church that's all on your side and they hate me. And Proctor's like, oh, cool. Where are they? I'll go join them. Yeah, he tells him, you've been preaching too much about hell and I'm sick of it. Like, it's so boring. You... And and also, you keep preaching about how we don't pay you enough, so who would want to go to church and listen to that? <laughs> and Giles Corey, it seems, also doesn't really like the preacher that much. And Abigail is watching it all. Oh, watching it all. For how repressed they all were and for how much they couldn't say what they really think, this seems like, I mean, it's obviously an intense conversation, but it also seems like something that's not astoundingly crazy. Like, it seems like it just kind of was something that they would just say when they get together. <laughs> they also, it turns out, are suing each other all the time. Mm -hmm. Giles Corey, didn't he say he had been to court like six times that year from people suing him? Yeah. And John Proctor tells him like, oh, hey, man, like, no hard feelings. You just sued me last month and I had to pay you four pounds. Yeah, Giles Corey <laughs> sued Proctor and they're friends. Yeah, they're good friends. And he was like, yeah, I didn't even say anything, but I still paid you, yeah, so let's just, just stop yeah, it. Yeah, just relax, bro. You won. <laughs> Who are the lawyers in town? I don't know if they're even worth <laughs> I feel like they're probably puppeteering this whole thing. Raking it in, yeah. So anyway, the, the men are arguing about legal stuff and land and money and all that. And Rebecca, a uh, nurse, the old woman, is sitting with Betty and Mrs. Putnam, whose daughter also was one of the ones who was dancing last night and also has like fallen sick and is just laying there not doing anything, mm -hmm. says, can you go and see my daughter and see if you can wake her up? And Rebecca's like very reasonable and says, you know, I think kids, you can't just like force them to do what you want to do. Like they'll come back and wake up when they feel like it. They're just being silly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she says, this isn't silly. Like she won't even eat. And Rebecca says, well, maybe she's not hungry. Yeah. Yet. Maybe she's not hungry. <laughs> Which I mean, sure, true. very reasonable. She says, you know what? I have... 11 children and 26 grandkids and like I know a lot about kids yeah. but that sets Mrs. Putnam off because she's like why did you get to have 11 kids and 26 grandkids and I can't even like seven of my babies died the same day they were born so at this point the demonologist Reverend Hale finally arrives or suddenly arrives like how far away was this dude if they were able to get him there that day he was in Boston so before he leaves Giles Corey meant he says to the Reverend I don't know why he says this this is a ridiculous thing to do. He says, you know, I noticed that my wife was reading mysterious books. Maybe you could look into it for Whoa. me. <laughs> Wait, who says that? Giles Corey. He's having marriage problems. Marital issues, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Because Corey can't shut up. That was foreshadowing when he walks in and Rebecca Ernest is like, don't say anything stupid. <laughs> but he did. He says that his wife has been like hiding books and that last night I tried and tried and could not say my prayers. And then she closed her book and walks out of the house and suddenly mark this. I could pray again. <laughs> and then the preacher is like, interesting, interesting. And he says, I'm not saying she's touched by the devil. 
but I'd like to know what books she's reading and why she's hiding them, because she won't tell me, so maybe you could look into it. Maybe you could look into it. Why would you sick this dude on your wife? He's a witch finder. <laughs> what do you think he's going to find? A witch! It's like every time I try to come up with an example of something and you and Theo are like, yeah, we'll name one example, and then I can't do it. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as you stop asking me that, I can do it again. Witchcraft. Explain how that's relevant. Because <laughs> we're touched by the devil. Oh, okay, you're saying we're casting spells. Okay. <laughs> Okay. You did the same thing. You were just like, give me an example. <laughs> I thought you were saying that you're the Reverend Hale or something like that. But yeah, so that was a very, 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 very stupid thing for him to say. Does it turn out badly? Couldn't turn out worse. Oh, wow. If you were to go to Salem, you would hear about how Giles Corey had reason to be upset at his wife and maybe did this on purpose, but he didn't think it was going to go as far as it did. So we'll see. We'll see. You remember everything from your trip to Salem? I remember a lot, yeah. When was Witchcraft. It? How are you able to remember it so well? <laughs> <laughs> it was in 2016. And I remember the demonologist guy came from Boston. So Boston is about uh, probably like a half hour train ride from Boston. So, But what about if you're riding a horse? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to le- uh, trying to convert it into. Hey, um, Rio. Yes? Ride a train for half an hour. How long is that on a horse? Three minutes. Horses are <laughs> ten times as fast as trains. <laughs> it's like a Japanese bullet train. Gosh. You're not allowed to ask Rio things that Rio couldn't possibly know or figure out. That's not fair. We don't know what Rio knows and doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe he saw a movie about it. I want our audience to respect Threeo. Love Threeo. (laughs) So here's when things get really wacky. So Reverend Perez tells the demonologist, Reverend Hale, well, here's what's going on. The girls were dancing and he's like, wait a second. You let them dance? And he goes, no, of course not. It was a secret. (laughs) I would never let them dance. No, and that's evidenced by the fact that I popped out of a bush at them and I put a stop to that. <laughs> so then Mrs. Putnam says, well, so you should know that his slave has knowledge of Condren. And Paris is like, okay, now you don't know that for sure. And she's like, yeah, I do, because I'm the one who asked her to conjure. She sent her child, Ruth, to Tichuba and asked, figure out who is murdering my babies. She thinks that for seven babies to die in a row, it has to be a curse. And that Tichuba can like call up the spirits of the babies to ask them who killed them with a curse. So the babies can talk? (laughs) Their spirits can, I guess. I don't know. I mean, if you have, like, Barbados magic, I guess that's what they're thinking. The next line I thought Theo would find funny, so she says, she should learn from Tichuba who murdered her sisters. Paris, a little scared. Well, you do come prepared. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, Tichuba's in the attic as well. Oh, man. Poor Tichuba. Yeah, seriously. And Abigail claims that Tichuba forced her to drink blood. And Tichuba gets really upset and is like, I never did that. You wanted, like, you begged me to do all this stuff. You asked me to conjure a curse for you. So don't try to say that I forced you to do anything. Reverend Paris threatens to whip her to death if she does not confess to being a witch. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that's how you get honesty out of her. (laughs) Yeah, so they said, what what are you talking about? Was this human blood? She says, no, it was chicken blood. I mean, there's a quite funny part. With the soup? Yeah, you can talk about it. Was that what you're going to talk about? He says, like, I saw a pot. (laughs) What was in that pot? And Abigail says, it was just beans and lentils. And she says, lentils. Lentils and beans. Yeah. (laughs) The 
Reverend says, like, was there anything alive in it? <gasps> oh, Paris says, I might have seen some movement. <laughs> oh, come on. And Abigail goes, it jumped in there. We didn't put that in there. And he was like, what jumped in? She's like, the frog. <laughs> it was just one frog that jumped in on its own. The frog jumped in. Oh, come on. A frog? Mm-hmm. Like the most yeah. cliche potion <laughs> ingredient. <laughs> they were making frog soup. Okay, but they didn't put that in there. That just happened to jump in there all by itself and they didn't do it. Frog chili. Wow. Reverend Hale takes her by the shoulders and it says, your cousin is dying. You need to tell me if you called the devil. And she goes, I never called him. Tichuba did it. Oh, so Tichuba eventually, she says like, uh, okay, you're going to kill me if I don't confess to being a witch? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The devil is bewitching me and other people and I don't want to work for him. I'm trying not to. I want to be a good Christian. And Hale and Putnam are like, well, tell us, who are these witches? Like, who are the other ones? Because we know you want to be good. So just tell us. So she's being strategic right now. I think she's panicking, but she's panicking. And she's kind of also taking everything that she feels like she's done wrong or that she's been told that she's done wrong. And she's attributing it to witchcraft. Yeah, they're they're feeding it to her. Yeah. They're saying, like, you don't want to be a witch, right? Just tell us, who are the other witches? So are you gathering souls for the devil? And Abigail just says, yeah, she makes me uh, she makes me laugh at prayers in church. And her uncle's like, yeah, she often does laugh at prayer time. And then she goes, she comes to me every night and makes me go and drink blood. She makes me dream corruptions. Abigail is, is being strategic, I think. So Abigail has problems where basically she doesn't take religious and church religion and church seriously. She says, sometimes I wake and I find myself standing in an open doorway, not a stitch on my body. She's always tempting me with things. So basically, like, Abigail... Abigail's making up shit. Well, but, yeah. no, I mean, what I'm saying is she's expressing things that she actually feels, but she's attributing them to witchcraft. She's not making things up. She's saying, I am a rebellious person and I am lascivious and I'm promiscuous. I mean, she is making some things up, like saying that Tichu was forcing her or that witchcraft is making her sleepwalk in the nude. But I bet she does walk around in the nude at night because John Proctor's out there looking up into her window. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like these are things that she's getting off of her chest. Yeah. Like, that's why it's powerful. She's not just making things up. Yeah. But the thing that makes me so angry is that she's offering things to them. Like, Tichuba's not, she's responding when people prompt her, but she's not like, Abigail's just saying, oh yeah, uh, here are three things I do and they're all because of witches. Yeah. And it's Tichuba that he threatens to whip to death. Correct. Not Abigail. So Tichuba eventually accuses two women, Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good, of being witches, which, okay, Osborne is the one who was a former midwife of Mrs. Putnam. Yeah, and she delivered three of her babies. Who were stillborn or whatever. Yeah. And it turns out that what they were doing in the woods was Abigail wanted Tichuba to give her a curse to kill John Proctor's wife, Elizabeth, so that she could be with him because she was jealous. So that's why she drank the chicken uh, chicken blood. Yeah, and made frog soup or whatever, which didn't they eat frogs? <laughs> I would imagine that they would probably have to eat frogs. There wasn't that much food for them. It was kind of a hard scrabble place to live. But I think you can't curse the frogs before you eat them. That's That kind of sours them. Couldn't you just say like, oh, it was frog and bean stew, you know. That classic dish. It was frog and bean <laughs> stew. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to put it in alive and moving. Ugh, he didn't know. It was dark. Yeah, he's he's popping out of a bush in the dark, and he sees, like, a naked person run by, and then he sees the dancing. He sees a dress on the ground. He sees a thing. All she would have to say is, that was just a bubble. We were boiling soup. You saw bubbling water. 
Duh. That's why it's funny. Yeah. Like, he's somehow seeing... How do you see a little thing moving in the soup? Come on, man. Yeah. So it's also funny because Reverend Hale, the demonologist... So Tichuba's now, like, weeping. She's being accused of everything. She's being threatened. Yeah. And he says, now, Tichuba, I know that when we bind ourselves to hell, it is very hard to break with it. Like, he's talking as though it's just like, you know, we've all been there. We've all bound ourselves to hell at one point or another. It can be really hard to get out of the habit. We've all agreed to be Satan's bride. <laughs> we understand. We're your friends. We're going to help you. He's being the good cop. <laughs> yeah. He's being... Sure. He is, yeah. So she's saying, well, I don't, it wasn't me, but I, I believe there are witches and I don't know who they are, but the devil has witches and I'm a good Christian woman. Yeah. And she loves the kids. Yeah. She does talk on and on about how much she loves Betty and how she would never do anything to hurt her. At this point, Abigail like jumps up and starts like contorting and she names people who are witches. Oh, so she names the same. On, I know. She names the same women as Tichuba, and she also names another woman, Bridget Bishop, and says that they were dancing with the devil. And at this point, Betty jumps up and also starts doing the same thing as Abigail, like kind of wiggling around and accuses the same people and also accuses a man named George Jacobs. And as the scene closes, they continue to name people who they're saying are witches and Hale orders that those people be arrested and calls for judges to try them. Yeah. So the end of the scene is just all the girls saying, I saw this person with the devil. I saw this person with the devil. I saw this person. And then the curtain falls. Yep. Oh, like the curtains falling as they're still saying it. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah. Do they also start saying it quieter and quieter and quieter. So it feels like, no, 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 louder. they're hysterical. Fact, everyone's like, yeah, everyone's hysterically yelling. <laughs> but the, I don't think that's a good effect though. If the, if the thing falls and you're just still hearing people yell and then they just stop shouldn't it fade out the final note is that the curtain falls on their ecstatic cries here's something funny on the free ebook that i have it's full of like formatting errors so on the last page betty says i saw alice barrow with the devi one exclamation mark (laughs) the devi one we don't like him no he's bad the devi one has many witches (laughs) that's a good password the devi one devi one exclamation mark yeah it has all the different characters Uh oh well now we can't ever use it darn you ruined it oh can't just edit that out so there's a lot of ridiculousness in this obviously it's very serious but i think there are some funny parts as well right like luckily comedy equals tragedy plus time am i right guys it's been a while pretty we much can laugh about this what i wanted to talk about was like i don't know i feel like you guys aren't as into this but i thought it was so interesting what miller said and what you know different scholars have said about people getting things off of their chest in the form of like accusing people of witchcraft because they're not like, yes, they're trying to get things out of it and they have ulterior motives and they're trying to get blame off of themselves, but they're also saying things that they think secretly. So like Tichuba says, okay, fine, I did see the devil and he told me to kill Mrs. Paris or Mr. Paris. Like he told me to kill you, yeah. her owner. No, yeah. And she's like, yeah, Mr. Paris isn't good. He's mean and he's not gentle and he wants me to get up and cut your throat. And she's like, no, no, no. The devil said that you suck, Mr. Paris. He doesn't like you. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, no, 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 I love him. I don't want to kill him. And he's like, well, well, maybe I'll take you back to Barbados to see your family and I'll give you a pretty dress to wear. And she's like, uh-uh, devil. I love Mr. Paris, my owner. Well, she says, like, <laughs> I know he wouldn't actually take me to Barbados. Yeah, she says, you lie, you lie. Tichuba's the only one that I, I actually feel bad for in terms of the I know, people who I are know. doing the accusing. I just feel so bad. Yeah. I, no, so, the, I mean, I don't mean to make fun of that. Like, that's not funny. But it's just, I think, an example of how, to them, the devil is their own thoughts. Yeah. They're saying it's the devil, but it's like, oh, yeah, 
like he wanted me to kill you, but I was like, oh no, I'm I'm good. I don't kill people. It's not the devil telling them. It's what they actually think that they know they're not supposed to think. Right. And to them, they actually probably do feel like that's the devil. Like they're saying it's the devil, but I think they might actually believe that. <laughs> I wonder how much the character of Tichuba believes that though, because how much is she actually a Christian, or does she practice like a blending of whatever she, whatever her religion was in Barbados combined with Christianity? Like I'm not sure how much is this how much of it is what she believes and just what she wants she knows they want her to say well i think it's very clear that she's been converted to christianity from whatever her religion was you think but she's still practicing all kinds of magic like voodoo basically that so that's what i'm saying is like it's clear that she's not 100% just a christian because christians don't conjure spirits oh i think that the way that you used converted was not the way that i would have used it oh i mean yeah no she wasn't willfully she wasn't willingly converted she was enslaved and forced to like pretend to be a christian basically what i I'm saying is I wonder how much has she actually converted <laughs> or if she, if it's like a mesh because you know like a lot of voodoo is, is a combination of Catholicism with mixed with other things but right I mean she I don't know what religion she would have practiced Miller doesn't give us enough information I don't even know if we have historical information to speculate with I don't even know if he cared he was just like eh, whatever some weird he probably just thought it's it's exotic I don't know <laughs> it's just interesting that there's like an open secret among the villagers that the reverend's slave can and does do magic. Well, and we don't know that like magic actually happened. We know that they tried to do magic. And I'm saying she is someone who is known to have successfully done magic in the past. And she lives with the reverend and apparently nobody has said anything to him, which is interesting because it just seems like they are thinking, well, you know, she's our access to the spirit world and we don't really want to turn that tap off. So we'll keep it on the down low. So it's just it's like a messed up pedestal that they put her on where it's like you're the conduit for all of our messed up things that we want to do. But then we're going to just throw you under the bus immediately. So I'm looking up Tichuba and people historically, it seems like it says research has suggested that she was a South American native from Tibitoe of the Carib tribe and sailed from Barbados to New England with Samuel Paris. So whatever she was practicing would have been indigenous to South America. This is very interesting to me because whenever I've seen her portrayed, she is played by black women. Mm -hmm. So that was what I always envisioned her as just based on various illustrations. I think in my high school English book, they use like stills from the movie maybe i don't remember exactly but i'm probably not going to say this very eloquently because i'm not an expert on the subject but i think our conception of what is a black person is different from what it was at that time like to them everybody who wasn't from england basically was was black or maybe they just there wasn't a difference to them it was just like if you were enslavable or not it doesn't matter you're a savage right yeah i mean that could have been the case for the people those people at the time but it wouldn't have been the case in the 90s when they made the movie and for arthur miller (laughs) yeah right or or in the 90s (laughs) did this make sense did we do a good job of explaining what's going on here i think you did i mean i i can't remember the characters names i I just keep getting mixed up on that but you get the gist everyone's running into the attic and accusing people of witchcraft and Abigail and John had an affair. She wants it to continue. He doesn't. Giles Corey's a buff old man. Bam. That's it. And poor Paris is just like, (laughs) why can't these people get out of my attic? Yeah. (laughs) Should we talk about a time that a frog came into our 
our lives. Yeah, you tell a frog story if you want to do that. And I can tell a story about a time that I was accused of witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Theo, remember when you tried to play a joke on me involving a frog oh. and then it backfired on you? That's a funny story, right? Because of the backfiring? Backfired on me or backfired further on you? No, it backfired on you because, okay, so we were all visiting Rachel's house one time long ago. And in her car, it had been baking in the summer sun. There was this little tree frog. It was it was very small and cute, and it had been just petrified by heat. Mummified. It was hard and uh, solid and not a mushy dead thing like goo. Desiccated. It was just like a figurine, basically. Like, it was just this perfect frog posture. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't standing up or doing anything weird. <laughs> and, and people might have been imagining, like, legs splayed out dead or something. Like, it wasn't laying down dead. It was basically like a little, yeah. yeah. Perfect frog posture. It was so dry, you could imagine that this is just, like, something made out of something you could just, like, crush into dust or something. Mm-hmm. That's what it was yeah, like. Yeah, super dry. <laughs> so anyway, um, so we picked up the frog and we were like, that's kind of cool. And I go inside and, you know, day progresses. I lay down on the couch and take a nap and then wake up, go back to join the group. Theo's acting kind of weird. And it comes out that he had put that frog on my head while I was sleeping at some point. But I guess I had moved and it had just fallen off. Like, I never knew it. So he didn't get that satisfaction of me waking up and being like, oh, there's a frog on my head. <laughs> That didn't happen, and I didn't know what happened at all, and he thought that I had somehow eaten the frog (laughs) in my sleep, and then he felt really bad, and you were all worried because I didn't say anything about it, and you were like, oh my god, she must have eaten that frog. Well, uh, so a few things you left out of the story. One is (laughs) I did place that frog on your head remarkably gingerly, and I think that should be noted just how subtle I was with my approach. She was asleep, though. She has no idea how gingerly it was done. Also, you said it was so dry it could crumble into dust, so it's not like it's heavy. Do you want to be commended for your skill? Well, the listeners will give me praise. Let's let the listeners decide if it matters. No, let's force them to give me praise. Okay. Secondly, yeah, I guess you're right. I might have thought you ate it or something because people tend to eat things in their sleep. Well, because you put it on my face, so I think you just thought, oh, maybe it like fell into her mouth or something, and that's why she hasn't said anything about it. Well, my fear now thinking about it is you roll over and then you crush it into the couch cushion or something like that, and there's just this like black stain or something like that. So that's why you don't put frogs on people unless you're there to watch the outcome. Yeah, it, I, th- I did wait for a while to see if you would like wake up and see it. And I was like, this sucks. I'm just watching Jackie sleep. God. I'm so bored. Now you know how Giles Corey felt most of the time. Watching Jackie sleep? Just bored out of his mind. <laughs> now I know what it feels like to be bored. Oh, that's why he just comes up and makes trouble all the time yeah i feel like i need to sue someone so instead of like indirectly accusing his wife of witchcraft giles Corey could have just like put a frog on her head and just waited to see what was happening yeah but he couldn't find any frogs because it was too cold yeah because they were all being eaten by all the women in town (laughs) i don't want to tell my story of being falsely accused of witchcraft in this episode i want to tell the audience they need to come back next time to hear it you want to tease it i'm teasing it why did you specify falsely i don't want them to think it could have been correctly accused (laughs) well you're really weakening the power of your teaser if i know (laughs) okay i was accused of witchcraft come back next week to see if it was false or true. come back to find out if it was false or true okay much better i won't say which one Did you feel a shiver run down your spine, audience? You could have been listening to a witch this whole time. Can we play like a who, when, where or something? Because, or a how, when, where. We need to. We need some energy to pep up for the end of this episode so we don't just like 
I'm doing a how, when, where right now. Go ahead. Okay. How do you like it? Hot. Which? Uh, frog soup. Yes. Frog and lentil soup. <laughs> frog and lentil soup. <laughs> hey, I was right. <laughs> that makes you a witch. Oh, you were accusing me of being a witch. <laughs> oh. oh, you thought I was guessing a witch. <laughs> Only witches like things that are above room temperature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or you could have said, I like it hot. And I was like, ah, a witch. You like hot witches. But you were wrong. It was frog and lentil soup. Ooh, how about I'm doing one? Okay, how about it? How do you like it? In the daytime. <laughs> wizard. A wizard. A wizard of the day. <laughs> yeah, a wizard of the day. <laughs> Theo, your turn. You do one. Can we make that the title of the episode? A Wizard, a of, the wizard day. of the Day. Yeah. For these four episodes, that should be a, an award we give one of us. Wizard of the Day. Uh, <laughs> and this episode, it goes to me. <laughs> what? I came up with the award. I'm the one who gets it You think first. you deserve the award for coming up with the idea of the award? Yeah. Okay. Well, can I be Wizard of the Night? Is that an award title? I don't think Blank it is. Blank of the Night? Well, oh, yeah. You can be a Wizard of the Night. Wink, wink, wink. We all know what that means. <laughs> what if you found out the first draft was like Wizards of the Clean Surfaces and Wizards of the Sticky Surfaces? <laughs> that would be pretty good. We want a Wizard in the Street and a Wizard in the Sheets. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Uh, okay, Theo, your turn to do a who, a when, how, how, when, where. How, when, where. Okay. Who and why <laughs> why do you like it <laughs> <laughs> why do you like let it? me think i'm gonna think of something really good we need to stick with the theme of guessing it on the first try can it be unrelated to the book no it has to be related to the book okay i got it how do you like it sung from downstairs <laughs> uh psalm yeah. psalm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? Uh, i gave away a little too much you should have said audible <laughs> was that just the only thing you remembered of course the doctor of music only remembers the song yeah what, what we didn't mention is that theo is a doctor now but he won't let me announce that because technically he hasn't turned his dissertation into the school but um you have to call him dr Thethi. oh so he's not a doctor there's another issue and and that is that there's a, a project that i never turned in that if they ask me about it then i'm screwed <gasps> Um, what? What? Yeah. I'm going to send this to them and say, check the tapes. It's be- <laughs> Why didn't you turn it in? What's the story behind this? I had to reschedule it because of COVID. And then one thing led to another and I didn't reschedule it. I just didn't do it. <laughs> but I'm trying to finish it right now. So that if they say, where is it? You can be like, oh, it's right here. Oh, I thought I turned this in. Yeah. You should just say, what? Uh, the project is my podcast. This is the project. Well, I had to submit a proposal and everything. Oh, and you didn't propose a podcast? If only you'd known. Why don't you retroactively propose this podcast? Well, because then I would be calling attention to the fact that I didn't do the project. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. Everything we record must be published. (laughs) I defended my thesis or my dissertation. So listeners, if you have any weird rashes you want Theo to look at, let him know. He's a doctor. Yeah. Yep. I'm never going to call him that because he's never called me a doctor. Well, you got got a wacky doctor degree. Rachel's a jurist doctor. I'm just as much of a doctor as you are, bro. More so, in fact. But guess what? I am not at all a doctor, whereas you two are, but I get called a doctor almost every day, and I don't correct people. So you're the opposite. Wow. Yeah, I am impersonating a doctor. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Let's send it to Jackie's boss if she sends it to your thesis advisor. (laughs) Mutually assured destruction. Someone said to me the other day while I had a student watching, they were like, it's just so nice to have an actual doctor explain all this. And I was like, "Mm mm-hmm. I didn't want to, like, ruin our rapport by being like, I'm not a doctor, you idiot. Mm, (laughs) I don't know anything. I don't even work here. Right. Wait, you didn't work there? No, no, no. But that I feel like if I had just, if I had just been sent, whoa, 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 
I'm not a doctor. That would have totally taken all my credibility away. Oh. It would have been as good as saying, I don't even know how I got in this hospital. Where am I? What is this building called? Like that sort of thing. <laughs> well, doctors, Chandler, Best, and Criminal are going to be signing out now. Dr. Criminal is a cool name. <laughs> yes, I am the coolest. I wonder if there's like a DC villain with that name. <laughs> Dr. Criminal. <laughs> Y'all remember Dr. Dreadful? Dr. Dreadful? Uh, Dr. Dreadful's sing-along. Judge Dredd? Do you mean? No, not no. sing along. You you made can't you made like delicious sweets with it. Was that the gummy spider machine? That was creepy crawlers. Oh. Uh, Doctor Dreadful was oh, like I forgot creepy crawlers. Well, we're trying to have my memory right now, so let's just focus. <laughs> Doctor Dreadful was like easy bake oven for boys because everything was like. I, I know I overused the term ghoulish, but this truly was ghoulish. <laughs> all of this food. You would get little gummies that, that looked like something. But here's the thing. You know me. I'm always scared to use up my resources, so I never made the food. Never. Yeah, like my brother did once, and I ate it, and I was like, this is great. And then it was like I didn't want to use any of the ingredients again. You didn't want to use it up? <laughs> yeah, because I was worried I was going to run out. And you never did. You still got Aww. it. That's great. Yeah, so good strategy. It works. <laughs> I had a friend growing up who received an Easy Bake Oven for Christmas, but her dad didn't know that you had to like buy the special bulb to make things bake in it. <gasps> well, so anyway, he, he kept putting it off and putting it off, and he ended up never buying the bulb, and now it's been <laughs> like 20 years later, and they're adults, and every time he like says that he'll do something for them, they say, oh yeah, like you're going to get me that bulb for that Easy Bake Oven? Wait wow. a second. I have to say something. You have to use a regular light bulb with the Easy Bake Oven. It says you must use a standard, standard 100-watt light bulb. It says if you use one with a higher wattage, it won't work at all. So he didn't need to buy a special one. He could have just Whoa, unscrewed one from his lamp. Maybe he only had fluorescence. But isn't that funny? Like, it is LEDs. funny. This has been going on for 30 years, and he's never going to be able to get over it. He should just buy them a light bulb. At but think point. about yeah. how delicious those cookies or cupcakes or whatever they make what do they make everything brownies cakes little cupcakes cakes. cookies it makes everything yeah. think about how delicious they'll be at the end when he finally gets yeah. that bulb in there <laughs> yeah been waiting 30 years for this apparently shitty brownie that... <laughs> the easy bake oven doesn't have a bulb anymore yeah because people like that kept disappointing their daughters with yeah. it does it cook food it still cooks food it just produces its own heating element more like a regular oven as opposed to the bulb which is more dangerous. I'm assuming it must have been the bulb. <laughs> like, why'd they get rid I of it? I think the reason they had to switch it is because we have much more efficient bulbs now, so they don't produce as much heat as they used to. Man, that was a toy that was based around inefficiency. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. What else is an inefficient technology we don't use anymore and then make a toy out of it? Go. Oh, the man who dances. The man that blows in the breeze. The man who dances. Dancing sock man, because the fan. Because you you could just have a website to promote yourself. Yeah. Is that what you mean? <laughs> no, I mean because it's like a it's a fan, but a lot of air comes out. I don't know. Uh. <laughs> well, what about when they actually make a human go out there and twirl signs? That's the most ineffective. Like that's so insulting, right? Like no no shade to the people who do that for a job. It's a job. Do your work. But like, whoever had the idea of making a person spin a sign? A king, probably. I'm assuming it's the direct <laughs> descendant of a court jester. <laughs> Another thing could be like radio antennas. Like we don't really use those anymore, but what if you... They could be uh, marshmallow skewers. Mm, but they have to rely on the technology. Mm. Oh, 
Oh, oh, oh. You know how older cars used to get rusty? Yeah. You could have a toy that's like uh, Mr. Scrapes a lot, and you t- you put it on a rusty car and like scrape him back and forth on it. Ew. Oh, that sounds horrible. Why would you scrape rust off? Is that how you get rust no, off? No, you, you, because the rust has a, has a rough texture, you take Mr. Scrapes a lot and scrape him up with the rust, oh. and it reveals lower layers each time. Like, He's red on the outer layer, and then he's blue in the second layer. Mr. Scrapes a lot. Nice. Or you could have it be like an art project. Like, hey, take this paper and rub it on your rusty car, and then it, like, fills in the little lines. Yeah. Oh! Like, now you just drew a picture of Mars, but all you can draw is, like, Mars and deserts. Yeah. <laughs> and rust. <laughs> Are you ever going to bake those dinosaur things I got you? Who? You, Theo. I gave you a little baking tin for that was dinosaur bone. I didn't want to use it up. You didn't want to use it up. <laughs> They're reusable. It's reusable. <laughs> oh, yeah. We did do that one time. Yeah. Didn't we? Yeah, we did. Because I remember they were difficult to use. I love that shit. Dinosaur-shaped cake. Yeah. That's the shit you love. <laughs> <laughs> Should we end the podcast? We got to end Let's it. end the pod. So thank you all for listening to Fire the Cannon. Now Jackie's going to list off a lot of stuff for Please us. Please do it, Jackie. Okay. Books. Thumbtacks. Blankets. Let's try to narrow that down a little bit. We're going to talk about okay. our social media. Gotcha, gotcha, if gotcha. If you would okay. like to check out our Instagram or Twitter, we're there at Fire the Cannon Pod. We have a Facebook discussion group and like a little announcement page. That's Fire the Cannon Podcast. We have a Patreon, as mentioned previously, patreon.com slash fire the cannon. Why don't we talk about how we just did our prize winning book? Yeah, talk about it, Theo. You're so excited. Well, on the Facebook <laughs> group, we had a poll. And on that poll, we asked listeners what book they wanted to listen to most intensely. And that book was chosen six votes out of the total of anybody know? No. How many? Okay, no. I don't know. Six we votes. We got like 20-something votes. <laughs> it was chosen to be Goosebumps. So we did an episode where we... Messed up all the titles, called it Goosegumps, all kinds of fun stuff. We had an episode of Bump Patrol is what we're saying. And yeah. we read Welcome to the Dead House or Welcome to Dead House. Number one in the in the Goosebumps canon. So yeah, we, we read that. We talked about it. We had a wonderful time. It was actually pretty funny. Go ahead and check that out if you want to listen to it. You can do that for as little as a contribution um, donation of $3 a month. And we really appreciate everybody who joins us there. Um, We think that's super fun. And it helps us to uh, keep making our podcast, which we love. Also, it's a really funny episode, the Goosebumps episode. Like, very funny. It is really funny. You guys asked, we answered. (laughs) (laughs) About six of you asked, and we delivered to you six. We keep our darn promises. Oh, we have to to talk about our new patron. Okay, do it. Luke. His name is Luke. Tell us about him, Thea. Um, So what do you guys know about Luke? Uh, He's a patron. And he's your friend. All right. He was one of my best friends at Oberlin. I'll tell you some facts about him. He's very good at piano. (laughs) (laughs) Does he have light fingers? That's what I want to know. Does he know which side of the console is up or down? (laughs) The console. (laughs) Oh, the console. Like, that's sillier to not understand the upside of than a controller. What made Luke one of your best friends at Oberlin? His sparkling personality. I would argue yes. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's a really funny guy, and he's uh, got a good head on them shoulders of his. And I don't know. I, I feel like we just have a lot of similarities, and uh, 
He he listens to the podcast and likes it, and that's really nice of him. That is nice. Um, Thank you, Luke. We really appreciate that. He played one of my pieces one time. I, I wrote a piece for us to play with. Did you let him, or did he steal it like a thief, like Dr. Criminal? Oh, yeah. He's a thief. So let me start <laughs> over. Luke is a really evil thief who uh, – st- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't – we, we can't even joke about that. We love Luke so much. So, yeah. Thank you, Luke. We are so excited. Uh, Rachel and I got really excited when we saw that you decided to sign up because we were like, a stranger. Yeah, we're so but it happy. turns out you're just a stranger to us. We're still happy, but in a different way. Yeah, but now you're not a stranger. Now you're like family. You're our boy. And maybe I'll mention something. Uh, Luke, remember when I noticed that Jake always seemed really dangly? Hopefully he remembers that. Okay. <laughs> wow, our listeners love that yeah. reference. If any of my best friends would like to become a patron, <laughs> let me know, and I will <laughs> I will say so many nice things about you. Um, okay, so why don't we go ahead and thank our international listeners and wrap this up? That was something I I said to him one time, like because we had this mutual friend Jake, who is more Luke's friend, but I said. Did you ever notice how Jake seems really dangly and he didn't know what I meant? And then later he sent me a text saying he had just seen Jake from far off. And yes, he does look really dangly. What did you mean by that? Did you mean gangly? No, dangly. Like things were dangling. Things? What? I mean, because he had long arms that dangled, but then his backpack had all these like straps on it that were like not attached properly or something. They were dangling as well? Yeah, it just seemed like he had lots of like streamers or something. Like his whole body was just streamers. When you say a person looks dangly, I imagine like Slender Man coming down the street, just like limbs all out of control and like wobbling around. See, that's why I felt the need to clarify. All right. right. Luke is not dangly, right? Luke is normal. Dangly can be normal, you know. Dangly is the new normal. Yeah. (laughs) Let us commence the end. We're on Ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash firethecanon. Also, you can send us an email at firethecanonpodcast at gmail.com. Last thing we have to say is bye now. Thanks, Nell. (laughs) Thanks, Nell. Thanks, Nell. Bye. Bye. Bye.